really need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning and welcome to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. Coming up on the program today, uh, we are going to be uh, talking uh, later on with uh, two gentlemen who are bringing the uh, Afro Rhythm from the Future program to uh, the Adam Miscavige Theater over on Fillmore Avenue uh, tomorrow night. So we'll talk with them about that particular event. Dave Debo is talking with uh, Jolanda Hill and Jerome Wright. They'll be talking about the Black Urbanism Collective. But right now... I'm joined by Chantel Patton. She is uh, the author, the co-founder, the creator of That Brown Bag, Minority Business Directory of Buffalo and actually upstate New York for that matter. Chantel, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. A real pleasure for sure. Uh, This is an entrepreneurial effort on your part. Uh, I want to get into what it is. But just tell me how you came to this, because it sounds like you went through, we hear about some of these opportunities and these programs and such that, I guess, offer what mentorship to a certain extent. It sounds like you followed it and it's uh, produced quite well for you. Um, There are countless organizations who put together programs to develop leaders. Um, The the true highlight quality of a leader is the ability to create more leaders. So one of the first programs that I was introduced to that allowed me to pivot, take a pivot and um, really blow up in my life was Open Buffalo's Emerging Leaders Program. Um, It was a program that taught me how to tell my why. It was a program that gave me the confidence to um, push forth what I felt was an important issue. And it gave me um, countless relationships that I still hold on to. This was 2017 that I went okay. through this program um, and countless relationships. I mean, I don't even, not to name drop, but sure. Jillian Hainsworth, the poet laureate from the city, was Personal my favorite. roommate for opening weekend oh. for <laughs> Open Buffalo Emerging Leaders. Well, and I've only known you day, for three minutes now, but I can tell that must have been quite the uh, quite the room. Continue. Yeah. I'm sorry and, about you know, that. To this <laughs> day, um, she and I are still friends. We still support one another. So. It's it's one of those programs. And then you transition to uh, UB. The Citizens Planning School has the Champions for Change. And that just reinforced everything that I learned in the Open Buffalo program. Um, and even now to today, uh, I'm in the E4All Summer Accelerator program right now for entrepreneurs. These are programs that give you the tools, the foundation, um, the basic knowledge in order for you to take yourself to the next level. And they're all over. UB has the Center for Entrepreneurial Leadership. Sure. Um, they have countless programs. Um, Weedy has programs. Um, the Enterprise Center at Papstone. So they're out there. It's really just in how do the people find these programs. And that's part of what I do. I want to hear a little bit more about that. But you said um, one of the mentors programs along the line helped you describe your why. 
your why? What was your why? What was you? How did you respond to that when they when they asked that? And has it evolved since then? It has evolved. Um, my initial why was really developed around the arts and music, and it's still part of my why. Um, I started out with my partner, and we had an artist development company. And we worked with underground hip hop artists, independent hip hop artists here in the city of Buffalo, um, throwing events and giving them opportunities to do things like this, interviews and hone in on their interview skills and kind of just refine and polish. And um, it has pivoted. It's expanded because artists are also businesses in and of themselves. Um, So it it's still a fundamental part of my why. Um, I still support the artists in the directory itself. I solicit the work of local minority artists to be a part of the book as well. Um, My pivot came when working with another hip hop entity here in the city. And um, it was really more on the exposure and the awareness of how to support the businesses. um, Because a lot of the artists would be looking to businesses for ambassador. Uh, deals or, you know, um, partnerships and things of that nature. But how do we make sure this business stays open? So that was my pivot into my why. But Open Buffalo gave me the courage. They gave me the knowledge. They gave me the toolkit. um, And they told me, go do it. Uh, just no, again, just knowing you just a little bit, I find it hard to believe you didn't have the courage or didn't think that you had the courage. But uh, that's that's a whole nother discussion for sure. All right. So that brown bag, this is a directory. It has what black owned businesses yes. in here. OK, so how does it work? So you go around to try to find these these people that they find you. How does that work? It's a combination. Okay. So first few years was boots to the ground and I'm still very boots to the ground, um, but it was going from. Networking event to networking event, collecting business cards. Um, It was going from door to door to businesses. I'm sitting in a business. I look around and I go, is that the owner? The owner looks like me. Can I talk to the owner? And establishing these relationships. This isn't just a a white pages. It's not just a phone book that you find on your porch on a random September morning. This is a book um, of people's dreams. This is a book of people's wishes. Um, and it's, I feel like I've been slated with the task to make sure that those don't die. If I can have any capacity or any, if I can help in any capacity, a business celebrate two, three, four, five years in business, 10 years in business, because I've sent them customers, then my job has been a great success. I love that, that there's people's dreams in here. Can we maybe can you take me through maybe one that that stands out to you? I'm uh, yours on its own is probably one that we could talk about. But you know, as you're reflecting on it, and I know there's a lot in here, and that's a question that's kind of maybe coming out of the out of left field a little bit. But can you maybe talk about one of those that just yeah, this is a dream, and boy, I, I, I'm I'm happy to see where this is going. Um, so I'll pluck one of my favorites out of the 500 dreams, you know, 500 plus dreams in here, um, and I'm gonna talk about my sis over at Black Monarchy. Um, Felicia Natalie Dove. So um, she's got a shop on West Utica and it's always been fashion. When I met Felicia before she even had the store, it was about fashion and our representation in the fashion, our fabrics, our colors, um, our head wraps. It's always been about that. And seeing her growth over the years, um, Felicia just celebrated five years 
um, that's a milestone for a small business to hit five years, to hit five years generating revenue um, and to have the exponential growth that she has. Felicia just recently um, was slated to do the costumes for Shea 710 Theater for Once on This Island. That's, that's a dream that has not been deferred and that has been allowed to grow because of the support of the community around her. Because, and I like to, you know, not from an, an arrogance standpoint, but I like to be able to say that I had something to do with that for her. She went to New York Fashion Week and thought she had to close the doors to her business while she was there. And I said, well, why? <laughs> you have this point of sale system. You trust me. You have Wi-Fi. I can work my nine to five from your store. Do not close your doors so that you can go chase your dream. And that's what I'm trying to to really push forward um, with my, I don't even want to call it an agenda, my mission. Sure. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, interesting to hear you talk about support. Let, let's talk about that a little bit. I, I would think the black community supports black businesses. Are they connecting enough, black businesses, connecting enough, though, with the general greater population of Western New York? I mean, there's a lot of people out there. Um, looking to spend money, looking for interesting things to do and to purchase. But is there a separation? A little bit. Um, as a people, um, we're more critical of ourselves than we would be on a Walmart or a McDonald's. So if uh, a black business makes an error, hmm. um, it's it's definitely going to be amplified more than if Walmart makes an error within our community. We'll run to Facebook. Um, we'll run an really? Instagram, we'll run a Twitter, we will blast this business versus going to talk to the owner. We can't talk to the owner of Walmart, but we can talk to the owner of, you know, say, for example, Sugar D's. We can talk to the owner of Golden Cup Coffee. I can't go talk to the owner of McDonald's. Um, so I'm trying to shift that conversation that says we need to hold space for and hold grace for ourselves because most of the time, um, when a minority opens a business, it's simply that it's opening a business and it's putting their dreams on the line. We may or may not have all the nuances in check when we open. So tell us when we're doing something wrong. Tell us, not everyone else. Um, so I'm trying to bridge that gap that says we need to have more grace and compassion for ourselves than we do for anyone else. Chantel Patton is with us uh, this morning on Buffalo What's Next. Uh, she is the founder of That Brown Bag. The directory is sitting right in front of us, over 500, as she called them, dreams. People's businesses that um, are trying to make it here in the Western New York economy. How about that? How about the economy? What are you seeing? Are, are you seeing, like you said, small business? It's always dicey there those first few years, right? But are we? are you seeing a general upswing yes. for these people? Yes. So um, I watch the trends. Yeah. And statistically, since the Black Lives Matter movement um, was first put into a place, we've seen a 16% increase in support across the nation to minority BIPOC businesses. So... Um, 16%? Roughly. Okay. Um, like 15.7. Sure. We'll, 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 give you, we'll give you that. Um, <laughs> but we're definitely seeing um, an increase. And I don't want it to just be a trend. Um, as a people, we're trending right now. Um, and I want that to continue beyond that wave. But there absolutely has been an increase. Um, 
even things to now T-Mobile has, you know, Minority Business Enterprise Day. We've got Black Business Month. Um, the city just recently in August did Buy Black Buffalo. And that was, you know, to highlight a, a good chunk of the businesses in the area um, and to send an influx of consumerism into those businesses. So there's definitely been an uptrend. I want that to continue. Of course. How about that then? Make your pitch for the businesses inside that brown bag. What's going to make them special? What's going to make it worthwhile for that trend to continue? Like you said, check these businesses out. What am I going to get that's special that, like you said, I might get it. I can go to Walmart. We know we're going to get a Walmart for better or worse, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, going to a, a small business for, for whatever we need. What about that from what we see inside that brown bag? It's recirculation in the community of that dollar. So when you spend your money at Walmart, the minute you spend your money at Walmart, it is no longer here. Mm -hmm. When you spend your money with a golden cup, with an empty cup, with a black monarchy, with the Cybos African imports, those funds remain in this community and they're reinvested. We're talking about people who live where they work. So they're going to turn around and they're going to spend the money where they live. That is an increase in, again, uh, commerce for the neighborhood, for the communities. It's an increase in revenue that stays in the communities. We talk about cities and townships that will drop your speeding ticket to a parking ticket so the funds stay in the township. Right. Let's, let's almost use that same ideology. Okay. Keep it here with us. When you're spending with a local business, you're giving an, uh, an entrepreneur the opportunity possibly to send their child to private school, possibly to send their child to college. Um, you got a board at Target. You got a, uh, an executive board right. who probably doesn't need any assistance in sending their kids <laughs> to college. <laughs> um, that, right? <laughs> so what we're talking about is, you know, that personal, that personal touch coming from a small business. You know, Walmart, they got self-checkout. You know, you're talking to the person that owns the business nine times out of ten when you walk into a small business. Um, I think it's just that personal touch. And especially for two years of not being able to touch, let's get back to it. Um I sense in our audience the interest that uh, in the, uh, individuals that we've been speaking with here over the last couple of months, that th there is a, a sense of people who want to connect. So this is an opportunity in that regard. So I, I guess let's talk to our audience in the regard to how can they find out what's inside that brown bag? How can they find these businesses? How can they find that restaurant? How can they find that fashion shop that uh, they're looking for that uh, they didn't, you know, maybe didn't know existed? So I've made it easy. Okay. First, um, the directory itself is available in paperback, hardcover, or Kindle download. Okay. Um, it's available on Amazon. So you can prime it. You can get it, and you can have your list. You can have your 500 dreams in two days. All right. Um, <laughs> I also have a website, which is brownbagcertified.com. Brownbagcertified.com. Yes. Okay. And um, that kind of leads me into another arm that came out oh, of right this. Ahead. Yeah, please. And that would be the Brown Bag Business Association. All right. So I've got a membership association. We're going to think BBB, but of black-owned business. Okay. Um, so these businesses, um, I send them information on grants, on webinars, on seminars. Um, I have networking events to put them in rooms with possible individuals who could give them contracts or who can expand their business breadth. Um, and so 
the website denotes those businesses that are brown bag certified and they have indicated that they're going to provide service at proper levels because that's one of one of my big sticklers is if you're going to do business do good business sure um there's a map on my website tap pins and it'll pop up this business is here this business is there ah. so the brick and mortars there's a map um if there is something happening it's on the website as well um and then everything for social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are all that brown bag. I wake up every morning, 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, I do my due diligence, you know, my normal daily personal maintenance. And then I open up Instagram and I hit share over and over and over and over until it's time for me to log into my 9 to 5. And I hit share on any and every black-owned business that I know that is doing good business and I share their posts to my network. Like you said, uh, black-owned businesses are trending right now. That's a nice thing to, to hear, and I'm, I'm very pleased about that, and we want to keep that trend going. What about uh, for the black businesses? Do they feel that they feel that they're trending, that they feel that, that like, I'm just hearing your energy talking about what you do on Instagram before you go to work at 9. <laughs> and, and it shows this, this energy, this you know, can-do attitude. Uh, is everybody on board? Do you, do you see that? Yes. Um, it, even down to businesses cross-promoting for one another because we're all now in um, a frame of mind that says there's enough for everyone. And just because you do what I do doesn't mean I can't support you. So there's definitely um, there's definitely been a rallying around one another. Um, I've seen businesses who say, I can't do it, but there's someone else who does exactly what I do, and I know they do it well as well. So there's definitely a trend within the businesses and also within the consumers. You live uh, just off uh, Jefferson uh, Avenue, as you mentioned to me earlier. You can actually see your daughter walking through the front door of the of uh, Tops on Jefferson. Uh, but you, you brought up a point, and I thought this was a good point in our conversation before we went on the air, that it was great to see all of these community helpers along Jefferson Avenue in the months right after May 14th, you know, giving out mm -hmm. this, that, and the other thing. That's great. But you pointed out that some business, businesses were getting neglected. They weren't getting the patronage uh, that maybe they normally would have because of that. How is it now? Now Jefferson appears to be back business as usual. Um, on, a good, on a good side? On a good side, okay. yes. Okay. Yes. So, you know, the businesses are still, they're still open. They're back. They have their regular customers back in. Um, you know, for that pocket of time, of course, while the city was rallying around Jefferson Avenue and that particular corner, um, you know, everyone's giving things away. Take this for free. Take this for free. Take this for free. And the community absolutely is grateful. And I can say that being part of that community is absolutely grateful. Um, I don't think anyone thought about the business owners right. um, in that respect that what what does setting up a free table in front of this business do to the business? So now I can see the consumers are back into the businesses. Um, they're back patronizing and the business owners are are back to it almost without skipping a beat. Okay. So. That's that's most certainly good news. The, like you said, you're part of that community, and I've asked this question to other people as well, and it's I, I I've loved the answers I've heard. What's good about that neighborhood? What's good about that community? I live in a neighborhood. Um, I know my neighbor across the street. 
I know my neighbor to the left of me. I know my neighbor to the right of me. Um, I know that when she comes home from the bus, if I'm not at the bus stop, everyone on the street is watching until she gets to our door. Um, this is a community that most of the people have been there almost all their lives, if not, you know, a good ch chunk of it, a good portion of it. They know one another. I know if I go into Tops, um, I can walk up to the customer service manager and I've seen him every day for years. And I know his story. I know his history. Um, this is a community that they we care about one another. And this is one of the few places, and I've, I've been a Buffalonian my whole life, so I've been here 43 years. And this is probably the only home that I've ever lived in where I felt like I live in a community versus I just live in a house on a street. Hmm. Uh, we're coming down to our final minute here with uh, Chantel Patton. Um, let's just get back to the basics with that brown bag. I mean, you mentioned it before, but let's mention it again. How can people find out more? So um, everything for social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is That Brown Bag. And the website is www.brownbagcertified.com. And you can reach me, um, I'm Brown Bag Lady, two E's, on Instagram and just Chantel Lynette on Facebook. So if you want to get to me directly, you can. I'm an open book, um, <laughs> just like this book should be open on every coffee table, in every DEI executive's office, um, in every corporate uh, executive board meeting. This book should be there. This is how corporations find vendors um, to you know, cover diversity for their businesses as well. So reach out to me. Find me. I'm more than willing to give you a list of black-owned businesses that do good business. I'm glad we found you. Chantel Patton, thanks for joining us. Thank you. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFL. On Broadchurch, Ellie tries to wrest back control, and time is running out for Alec Hardy. Watch Broadchurch, Episode 6, tonight at 9 on WNED-PBS. Support for the WBFO News Desk for Older Adults is provided by Health Foundation for Western and Central New York, an independent private foundation investing in improvements to community health with the goal of a healthy Central and Western New York where racial and socioeconomic equity are prioritized so all people can reach their full potential and achieve equitable health outcomes. Learn more at hfwcny.org. Get all the trusted local news you need right to your inbox each weekday morning with the WBFO daily email. Visit WBFO.org to sign up today. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. This is Dave Debo. Today on the program, we're going to look at land use around Jefferson Avenue. There are a lot of vacant lots. There are a lot of ideas. And there's a group out there that's trying to kind of put those two together with an emphasis on community. The idea that what happens to the community should come from the community. Let's talk about it a little bit more. Jolanda Hill is here. You might know her from Colored Girls Bike 2. And Jerome Wright is here. He's the leader of one of the Halt Solitary campaigns going on across the state, but around jails here as well. The two of them have pulled together to talk about ways to reimagine Jefferson Avenue, not only to get resources, but then to figure out, okay, once the money starts coming in, 
what do we do? Thank you both for being here. Glad you're here. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks. This past weekend, you had a summit to sort of kick these ideas around. Why do you, and I don't, either one of you can, can jump in and answer first. Why do you think that's necessary? Why not just have someone come forward with one idea and someone come forward with another and they all do it? Why a unified approach from the community, which I know is important to you? Yeah, it is important to us because for too long, our communities have been not involved in any of these processes, planning, development, uh, blueprints, any of the ideas have come from other people, from other agencies, and we feel that it's high time that we step up to the plate and be allowed to do it ourselves. We're not incapable or incompetent. And the fact that now we have a a group like even from UB of architects who are predominantly black and brown people who have a vision and have the skills to put it together that we should be using that. Are you okay with the idea of an outside idea from UB? Um, so the first thing is that the blueprints that we came up with were inspired by feedback that we got through um, a petition that Jerome put together, getting feedback from folks about like the tops reopening. Um, we also got some feedback from a survey that um, we put up Color Girls Bike 2 as well. And a lot of people were saying they weren't um, comfortable with the store being open. And we gave folks an opportunity to say, well, you know, what do you want to see on the land where the tops is? And a lot of folks were saying, you know, we want to see a memorial. Um, sure. And so, OK, so we took that feedback and we worked with UB, so it was a collaboration. Um, mm. It wasn't like UB came up with this idea themselves. The renderings came from that, and um, there was a like a student that volunteered to use their skills, and that's how some of the renderings came to be. Um, Black Holistic Urbanism, the point of this collective is to identify Black and Brown folks that have experience within architecture, real estate, urban planning to support the community in developing designs and um, a vision for their community. We're not here to tell the community what that is, but our goal is to work with block clubs um, and different folks in the community that probably are already thinking about these things um, and bring it to reality. Because far too long, and I've heard you say this before, Jerome, mm -hmm. far too often, those voices from the community are ignored. Yes, not even ignored. They're not even considered. Uh, you, you ignore somebody if you ask them something and they tell you and you just don't do it. But if you don't even ask them, that's beyond ignoring. That is just not taking them into consideration. And I think um, what happened, the tragedy, the massacre on 514, only highlighted and exposed the, defici the deficiencies we have in our community. And there was plenty of money said that they was going to be given to help us ameliorate those deficiencies. One, it hasn't shown up. And two, there's been no plan given to the community about what that money is going to be used for and who can use it. Yeah. And that's like Jerome said, it's been now, what, four months. The people that we trust to help I guess, lead us um, or lead the city um, are, have not stepped up, have not brought the community any um, legitimate um, concrete plans for redevelopment on Jefferson because clearly it is needed um, after 514 it was exposed that, you know, there's not enough grocery stores, there's not enough resources for people in this community. And so we decided to step up um, through Black Holistic Urbanism to support the community in um, envisioning what more could look like on Jefferson. And is the more uh, site-specific? Do you have, I don't know, 
10 vacant parcels and 10 ideas, that kind of thing? Or is it just more of an overall, here's our strategic goal? More of an overall strategic goal because you have to take into consideration what the interests are of the community. So where we might think this might be a good place to have a commercial strip, they may feel like, well, we want it over here. So we're still in the planning and developing phase. We've made no conclusions. We've drawn no final plans. And we're inviting still the community to weigh in so that it's something that they can be proud of. I just want to emphasize one thing. This the idea about the memorial is serious. Serious business for our community. Uh, although we know we felt like we were held hostage by tops, there was no other store. They said they had to open that one. You know, understanding that I have a car and somebody else doesn't, mm-hmm. I have to understand that there's a need for this store. Even though I don't like that it's there, but there's a, an equal need for a a dignified honorable memorial for the lives that was lost, the lives that were impacted by being harmed, and that community that was traumatized. It should be something anywhere in America where people have been slaughtered and killed. They have always did the right thing, the human thing, and given some decent memorial. Why on Jefferson is this not happening? So you're looking at wanting, thinking there should be something at the top site. Yes. We we know you need a store. They have, you said, there's at least 10 vacant lots within a mile radius of the store. But they you still want this one. at the store. Give up we a couple want parking that spaces. Yeah, give, okay. up the, give up the parking, give up the store. We really, my position is I would like the store not to be there. I would like that to be an entire memorial, a park, with all the amenities that people have where they can go there, they can revere the dead, they can talk about peace, they can work together, something scenic. Yeah, and I think in in Jerome, he is a part of the community. And so his opinion matters, right, about what he wants to see on the land because he too was impacted Um, But I think what's special about Black Holistic Urbanism is that, right, we're not going to force our personal opinions onto people. And um, what people envision for the land, it may also be a memorial, but it could also be, um, you know, potentially something else. But that's why we've been holding these meetings. I want to get back to what people are suggesting, what they're talking about early on. Uh, Granted, nothing's been decided, so we'll put that asterisk on it. But let me pick up on tops for just a second. Have either of you been in the store? Because I've heard a lot of people just aren't going back. No, I'm not, and I will not. Why? One, I think that, uh, first of all, it's still a target. Let's be honest about this here. Nothing has changed. We lost 10 people, but the store is there, and it's the only one in the neighborhood. We know on good faith that there have been several people who've talked about doing that again. They even arrested one guy who was thinking about revisiting that. Why would I willingly go in there when it's a target still, number one? Number two, we lost valuable community members. I'm talking about community activists. I'm talking about mothers of the community. Elders. Elders, deacons, people who played a vital role in the community. We lost them, and all we give them is a waterfall inside of a store where people may never see it. Family members who lost there will never see that waterfall because they're never going to go in that store. That's not a fitting memorial, no. Jolanda, have you been inside? No, I also will never. Um, never. Both of you, I never. I do not foresee myself going back into Tops for many of the same reasons that 
Jerome said. Um, I want to respect the lives of those that passed on. I think that for me, it's too soon to step on that sacred ground. Um, I'm a very spiritual person um, and the energy there is just so strong, so powerful. And I don't think that it's time for me to go and pick up a bag of rice. I can go somewhere else. Um, so yeah, I'm, I don't foresee myself going back into the store let me, either. Let me say that I really feel for the people who feel they have no other choice. Right. But they're going in there because they have to service themselves and their families, but they don't want to. They're, you got people come out there still visibly shaken who have to get courage up or take somebody with them to go in there. Why should you have to do that shopping? That's why it doesn't need to be there. I have heard a lot of people say similar things uh, on this program and elsewhere. If there are so many people that say, I'm not going to use this store, does the store fail? Does it go away? And does that create even more problems? Sorry. And I do want to emphasize that I also do understand why somebody would need to go into the store to get a bag yeah, of rice. Yeah. No, right? that's cool. Um, so I do want to emphasize that. I'm just saying personally for me, I'm not ready to go back into that store. And it could potentially create more problems. No, it, it will create more problems because if we don't have enough resources now and we lose that, then what are we at? We, we, we're behind the eight ball. Listen, the eyes of the world were on Buffalo. And our leadership blinked. This was the time to get all of the resources that this community has been longing for for years, decades. And it was the opportunity where the world was willing to roll out the red carpet and take care of our needs. And we didn't get it done. And we're going to stand. That's what we're standing for now. We're going to get it done. But it's not too late. You have this uh, Black Holistic Urbanism Collective. You have ideas starting to emerge. Do you just sprinkle these ideas throughout the neighborhood? Or again, tell me a little bit more. You said that it's it's a, a strategic plan, as it were. Well, I want to just say one thing. You said it's not too late. Mm. No, it's not too late. I don't think anything is too late until you're no longer here. You no longer have breath. But look at this. Four months later, five and a half million dollars was donated. Only $230,000 has been allocated. This is money for people who were traumatized and needed it right now. People whose homes have been torn up need it right now. We don't have time. There is no time to wait. The state has said they're uh, expected to drop something like $58 million in the neighborhood. But we haven't heard a lot of details. Talk a little bit about that. The first thing, um, you, you asked a question about black holistic urbanism and, mm -hmm. and the plans we have. So, yeah, our goal is to develop a plan with the community. We have a meeting on Saturday, the 24th, this Saturday, the 24th at 6. Um, and what that will look like will, you know, kind of vary as as we hear more from the community. Um, so, yeah, and then I would say as far as the funding coming into the east side, there's a lot of red tape around that funding. Just from, like I said earlier, um, conversations with people in the community, um, one Eastside resident that I talked to, he said he was trying to get access to funds to um, renovate his home. And he said that he couldn't do that because um, one of the grants required that he have proof of insurance for his home. And so he said he didn't have that. 
Um, there was another person that said he needed seven years of taxes um, records. Um, he didn't have that. So there's all of these hurdles and barriers that people are, are, are experiencing just to get to this funding. But honestly, it's nothing new. This is something that the black community has experienced <laughs> for decades. We're like, you know... There's all of this talk of, you know, there's 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 money available or there's resources available. When you try to go and get the resources, the application is super difficult or you don't have all of the, you know, the documentation documentation to get access to the funds. You know what's much more egregious about this than, than that is that they have a cutoff date, which was yesterday or today, that you can file an application to get any of that money. Why is there a cutoff date? You're talking about people who've been traumatized. So if a woman gets raped... And she can five years later experience the trauma can keep her to why are we cutting it off? It's the money is for the people. If the person is traumatized, doesn't realize a week from now that they that they need that milk money because they're coming out of the the fog of the trauma, why couldn't they get it? What is the cutoff they saying? That after this, if you're hurting, we're not gonna help you. Though this money was allocated to help you. That's like, what is that? What is that? That is what we experience in our community all the time. Not just the red tape. It's the shenanigans. Why are we doing a cutoff date when you know people have been molested as children? They're giving them now till their 30 right. years to file. Why is somebody got to wait on Jefferson because they're black and brown people that after this date, I don't care what you're experiencing, you're out of the running. Funding and that sort of thing comes from a bureaucracy. If they are imposing this bureaucracy on everybody, it might not be right, it might not be cool, but is it okay because it's not racist? Do you see what I'm saying? If if the uh, Hispanic no. homeowner on the Lower West Side or the uh, white homeowner up in the Delaware District has to jump through the same hoops, yeah. is that, it is not not does that make the hoop discriminatory? <laughs> let, let, let me tell you why that's not the same. It's just like an SAT. You you. you SAT I, I thought you would proven, go there. That's exactly yeah, why I asked. SAT has been ahead. proven to be racially biased because I've never been on a yacht. I don't know what a what the how the water knots in the water because that's not my experience. That's what we got here. The same example. And, right, but I also add like let's not forget we're still old reparations here. Right. So we're old reparations. We're a group of folks um, that are descendants of those who were enslaved. And we are always one step behind because we were never given what we were owed in the first place. I swear we could do an entire a show. hour and a half. So the on fact that we also have to jump through hoops for money that we're essentially owed anyway. Um, and, and honestly, it, it doesn't even amount to the, the actual money that we're owed is an injustice. I think that it should be made very, very easy for people to get access to funds, um, especially especially after such a tragedy um, that, you know, the Eastside community experienced on 514. Especially so, when there's money allocated just for that. Why, you know, it's like you got this check and you're only going to give out a certain amount of it when you know it's supposed to go to, you're supposed to get rid of all of it. So that what happens, then that means time goes by and that money slowly disappears because it starts to go into other places. Jerome Wright is here. You might know him from the Halt Solitary Movement in jails around the state and around here. Also, Jolanda Hill from Colored Girls Bike Tube. The two of them have pulled together what I guess doesn't have a formal name, but is, is being called working title, Black Holistic Urbanism Collective. 
you're trying to get these ideas. I want to jump back to to ideas for the neighborhood. What's emerging other than the the consensus around tops and the need for a memorial? What else are people saying? If we get this money, we ought to do A, B, or C. Well, a lot of people are saying there are many people who are in the community who remember Jefferson Avenue from its glory days. It was a thriving part of the city. It was a financially solvent part of the city. It was a beautiful part of the city. They don't necessarily want to go back to that, but they want something like that to reemerge from this. So a, a, a strip akin to Elmwood or Hurdle. Comparing Jefferson Avenue to Hurdle or Elmwood is we we want to be wary of that just because we want to approach urban planning and redevelopment of um, the black community through a non-Eurocentric lens. So when we're talking about rebuilding Jefferson Avenue, it's not necessarily to mirror a white, a predominantly white community like Elmwood Avenue or Hurdle, but it is to reimagine and redevelop de- develop Jefferson in a way that makes sense um, through the eyes and the the visions you know the vision of, of black folks in that regard it yeah. does it does it become afrocentric and are you, you're okay with yeah. that you could say that it's afrocentric or it's just non-eurocentric okay um, the urban planning and architecture field is a predominantly white and male um, kind of industry and we want to be intentional about changing that. We want to be intentional about not only developing these plans for Jefferson, but also educating people about what is urban planning anyway? What is architecture? Why is it so important to have black and brown voices um, within these spaces? In a lot of ways, this sounds similar to, and I know you folks are familiar with uh, Dr. Henry Lewis Taylor at UB. Yeah, his, his study, The Harder We Run, uh, had some recommendations in there. And one of them was almost to create a quasi-governmental unit that would take control or give control of the east side to the east side. He talks about planning groups, people coming together and sharing ideas and then implementing those ideas. But as you said earlier, Jerome, he likes the idea of this group being community-specific. I think what, first of all, shout out to Dr. Taylor um, and the Center for Urban Studies because he has been doing um, this type of work for since I was born, since before I was born. Um, and Voice in the wilderness for 40-some <laughs> years. Yeah. Yes. And um, the Harder We, we Run uh, uh, report had a lot of great recommendations in there. And, yes, community-instigated design and development is essential to um, rebuilding and redeveloping a community like the Jefferson Avenue community because it has been divested from for for so long, but then it's also vulnerable to um, outside actors that want to potentially gentrify the community, that want to, um, you know, develop a community that looks more, you know, appealing to what they envision and not what the community wants. Um, and I think that has kind of been um, – the 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 I don't want to say best practice, but that has kind of been the norm. I think within urban planning is like you'll have some sort of like white man that you know is an expert um, that thinks they know what's best for uh, a certain community uh, or a black community, almost like the white savior complex. They'll bring their blueprints and be like, hey, you know, look at these really great designs. A lot of times it's just you know affordable housing. Maybe you have some businesses mixed in there, um, but it's never. 
I think it hasn't been enough to create this radical change that the black community needs to see like urgently, like right now. Do either of you feel, and this is more of a rhetorical question, that if the ideas come from the community, not only will they reflect the community, but might be easier to implement, might move ahead with more progress? There's no doubt. I think that when you give people the chance to uh, self-determine, then they're more vested in that. When somebody else is doing it for you, then you, you don't have the same passion for it. You don't have the same commitment to it. You maybe have the same understanding because it's not your vision. It's not what you want. It's not what you would like to see. So, it's, of course, we would like to see, you know, I, I, I met, messed this statement up too often and I should know by now. Something for us that's not by us. What is it? I, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Nothing about us without us is for us. That if you want people to, you know, they talk about how bad the community looks sometimes. Well, maybe if it was designed the way the community wanted, they'd be more, have more pride in keeping it up. Maybe it would provide opportunities for the community to take notice of what they have and be, hold people accountable for messing it up. But when you're just throwing people together in anything, then that's how they try to treat it sometimes, you know, even if it's their own. And I, I think that's what we're trying to, we're, we're trying to get away from that. Then take me through the process. You have another meeting coming up Saturday? Yeah, the process, the way the process is going to work is we'll have a we have a core team of, of folks that have experience in architecture, um, urban planning and in, in design, but then also people who just have experience, you know, like Jerome with, you know, um, uh, holding community meetings and, you know, um, doing outreach with folks. And the way it works is that we'll have a group of urban planners, architectures and, and uh, designers that will it's a core team of people that work with will work with a partner in the community so for example like the jefferson business association we'll work with them to support them in identifying what needs the jefferson avenue community needs and some sort of plan will come out of that the <laughs> next step in this is a, a planning meeting for the next town hall which we okay. don't know now, the see, date for that's what yet. i was picturing you're not at that step yet <laughs> It's not a it's not a planning charrette yet. What do you mean? Uh, a, a group of people actually putting the ideas of what they want to see on paper yet. I think where we are at is first of all trying to establish a base and a, a, a trusting relationship with the community. Um, and at the meeting that we had on Saturday, I think what became very apparent is that a lot of folks don't necessarily. Um, you know, trust folks coming into their community, you know, and, and, you know, saying that, you know, let's reimagine it together when they don't necessarily, um, you know, know us or have a relationship with us. And so I think a really essential and important aspect to all of this is like, let's get to know each other. Um, let's start to try to build relationships with one another and build a community. So that way we can reimagine and redevelop Jefferson Avenue together in a way that works for, you know, the folks that live directly in that community. Well, yeah. well, well we also yeah. have some stuff that's already been done. So we ask people, look at this, see if you like it, look at this, and get an idea of something that you might like that may be a little different than this. Because a lot of people look at a building and don't, don't think about what, it's mm -hmm. a, what it is. It's a building. And we're talking about why, how building functions, why it looks the way it is, where it's placed. 
I, I want to make careful about us saying this. This is not just about buildings. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is about people. resources and people. Getting people the resources that they need to build the environment that they want to build. Because everybody, I, I'm hearing, and it's not you guys, but I'm, I'm starting to hear everybody thinking, well, they just want to build a memorial. They want to build this. They want to build that. We want to build a community. Yeah. And the community is built using buildings, people, and resources. That's what and, we want. And I think that's what urban planning is about. It's not just about development. It's about the people, right? How can we build a community that works for the people? Um, so, yeah. And we want, we want, because of the tragedy, because of what it represents racially, we want one of the things to be a museum of African-American history. I was history. just going to ask you about that because yes. I've seen some of the proposals that at this point are just being floated. Not necessarily concrete yet, right. but but it looks as if this is one of those that is emerging, emerging, that there needs to be some sort of Afrocentric museum. Yes, yes, something to let people know who we are, because obviously the massacre, the racist massacre, didn't know who we were because he thought that was going to decimate our community, start a race race riot. Uh, discombobulate the, our race, none of which happened. Oh, we suffered some trauma and there's still some pain, but we are resilient to a fault. What would this museum include? Because I know there are similar efforts along Jefferson already. Um, Herb Bellamina's Black Achievers Memorial. Uh, sounds like this is something bigger, though. I, I would like to see something bigger, but again, this is not my vision. Uh, I, we're going to put it out there that these are one of the things. It may not make the top three after you shop it to the community. Mm-hmm. This is really a community effort, and this is why I want to show you. We're not here, like she said earlier, to impose our will, to impose our leadership on the community. We really want the community to stand up and say what they want, and then we want to help them achieve that. Let me give you a chance then to talk about not the process and the meeting that has happened, but the one here to come. Can anyone just walk in this Saturday? Yeah, so the meeting Saturday is just a planning meeting for the next town hall that we have. I see. So this is not a... Okay. It, it can be, yes. Folks are folks are um, open to coming to the meeting. The point of, of making, it, making it open was because... You don't want I'm to operate sorry. in a vacuum. You you want to be um, transparent. Yes. A lot of the feedback that we have was that, you know... Um, we would like these town halls to be kind of structured in a different way. Mm. Um, you know, we would like the breakout groups to be differently. Um, you know, we want smaller versions of the rendering so we can look at them in the breakout groups. So we just had a lot of feedback about how the first town hall went. So we said we would make the planning meeting open for the next town hall to everybody so they can give their feedback. You've both talked a little bit about some of the renderings that are out there already. What are they of? What kind of ideas are being pushed around? Well, some of them are of a memorial site on the tops uh, site area. Uh, some of them are all renderings of a thriving business and residential district uh, covering several blocks along Jefferson Avenue, predominantly in the area where the tops is at. Uh, so, yeah, those are those are what they are. Uh, renderings of memorials and different types of memorials that you could have. Uh, and then there's business district, right? Like a strip of the street. Well, business is on one side, residential another. You know, different, uh, you know, renderings of, of that nature, yeah. We also put up, like, our holistic mobility hub. 
um, CGBT's Holistic Mobility mm-hmm. Hub. That all of these are examples, though, of like what things can go on Jefferson Avenue. If someone wants more information, if someone wants to make sure they make it to the next town hall, how do they reach out? Uh, you have Facebook. Do you have Twitter? Any any way that uh, folks yeah. can get involved? So right now, Black Holistic Urbanism has a Instagram page and a Facebook page, or they can email colorgirlsbike2 at gmail.com. All right. Both of you, thanks for so much for coming on in. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you. Jolanda Hill is with Colored Girls Bike 2. Jerome Wright is with the Halt Solitary Movement. Uh, both of them have been working together on the Black Holistic Urbanism Collective. This is Buffalo What's Next. Stay with us. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. On this program, in our many discussions on Buffalo's east side community, we've spent some time looking at possibilities. Well, an event Friday night at the Adam Miscavige Dramatic Circle, we'll be doing just that, looking ahead, hopefully, to a better, brighter reality. It's called Afro Rhythms from the Future. I spoke to the presenters prior to them traveling from California to be part of this weekend's Buffalo Humanities Festival. Lonnie J. Avi Brooks and Ahmed Best. Came up with this idea of doing a card game based on creating ideas and artifacts from the future with African and indigenous ideas, thoughts, and philosophies at the center of the game. And so what we created, Afrorhythms from the Future, is not just a card game where we get, get to go through this, but we created an experience where we can actually create the future in which we want to live in. The event calls for audience participation. The cards start the conversation before the dialogue elevates and where it goes, well, the presenters say each event comes to its own conclusions. According to Lonnie Avi Brooks, while the focus is on the future, the building blocks come from the past. We're inspired by W.E.B. Du Bois, um, the mm-hmm. sociologist uh, in the 19th, 20th centuries, um, who was actually a science fiction writer. So in 1908, he wrote uh, the Princess Steel novels, and that was just discovered a few years ago in the archives. And he invented this uh, fictional instrument called the megascope that would look for the undiscovered stories of our ancestral visions or past visions of the future and, and much more than that. But um, so we're kind of inspired by um, our ancestral intelligence that we know that um, when slaves arrived here from the Middle Passage from West Africa, that they could be killed for speaking their languages or playing their music. And they had to become hybrid, hybrid innovators in an alien land. And so they created spirituals that, you know, with Christianity imposed upon them, created spirituals from the hymnals that dreamed of Zion, a land that was free of slavery, a land that they could be liberated in. Like, uh, you know, the fictional nation of Wakanda in the Black Panther film. That optimistic outlook appears central to Afro rhythms from the future. For Ahmed Best, that viewpoint is connecting with the modern mood. I think what's happening right now with... Um, the zeitgeist, is we are recognizing and realizing that there's something next. 
something actually has to come. Something there's something after, and whatever that something is, it has everything to do with equality and egalitarianism. And those tenets of equality and egalitarianism were baked into most indigenous and African societies, right? It was, it's very different from what um, European Western culture brought to the Americas, right? So now that we're reaching back and understanding what these indigenous cultures gave to us and how they brought these, these ideas into, um, into their organizations and into their societies, now we're recognizing that these kind of ideas need to be brought forward forward in order for us to look at an equal and optimistic future. Part of the Buffalo Humanities Festival, the presentation of Afro Rhythms from the Future comes to the city four months after the racist attack on the Jefferson Avenue tops that killed 10 black people and left three others wounded. I pointed out how the space where they'll be holding Afro Rhythms from the Future, the Adam Miscavige Dramatic Circle on Fillmore Avenue, it's just a few miles from where the shootings took place. Both Lonnie J. Avi Brooks and Ahmed Best shared their perspectives. We do look at games of this sort, like the tragedy of Buffalo, unfortunately speaks to the erasure that we've been faced with as a people for centuries, right? So, but what we have as part of our core is what we call our, our own cultural vibranium, of future visions. And so, you know, the, the spirituals that we talked about from slavery and onward into various genres of music have provided that politics of hope, right? And we're about creating a politics of hope into the future that can, that can heal our collective and individual trauma. And, you know, right now that's also being proven through, through neuroscience research to be able to do that. I think we kind of live in this both and environment of having these tragedies and these horrible incidents happen and how do we heal together from it and with it and, you know, embody it and embrace it at the same time. So, you know, it's not, it's not, we're not a panacea and, you know, cure-all, but we're saying how can we be agency to, to have a different future than what happened? Envisioning alternative futures is actually healing. Your brain creates creates new neural pathways to actually heal from trauma when you envision these futures. And when when we play this game, that's what we really try to impart on anybody everybody is the the terrorism that happened in Buffalo. And in order for us to heal from something as devastatingly tragic and and terror-filled as someone um, murdering innocent people, innocent Americans in a supermarket, is we have to imagine what we can do to make sure that that never happens again. And living through this idea of dignity and teaching this idea that every biome on this planet is entitled to its dignity and letting everyone know and grow and create from that space rather than try to prevent a tragedy. The tragedy will never happen because from the ground up, from the root, we believe that everybody is entitled to their dignity. Ahmed Best and Lonnie J. Avi Brooks will lead 
Afro Rhythms from the Future, Friday at 6, as part of the Buffalo Humanities Festival. The historic bar at the Adam Miscavige Dramatic Circle will open at 5, which could help boost the conversation. There's more information at buffalohumanities.org. And that will conclude today's Buffalo What's Next. And we want to thank our guests, including Chantel Patton, who was on earlier with us on Buffalo What's Next. And also, of course, uh, Jerome Wright and Jolanda Hill as well. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.